and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today, I'm very excited to bring you this episode with John Kearns, fantastic comedian, perfectly marries together uh, elements of stand-up and elements of clowning. His show this year in Edinburgh, Double Take and Fade Away, is an absolute masterpiece, and I will gush at him about it during this show, but it really was one of the two or three things I saw this year which just scrubbed my mind clean. I mean, I, I, I just thought it was exceptional. It's on tour. Uh, you can, I'll give you all his tour dates in the middle section, but it's on tour from mid-February and he's going all over the United Kingdom. So don't miss John Kearns. He remains the only person ever to have won Best Newcomer at the Edinburgh Comedy Awards and in the following year won Best Show. He really is worth checking out and I hope you enjoy this conversation with him as much as I enjoyed finally recording it. Thanks to Angel Comedy, angelcomedy.co.uk, for their use of their recording space at the Bill Murray Pub. This is John Kearns. What you do on stage is, like, I've read a bunch of reviews of it recently, uh, which I don't, you know, when I'm kind of pre preparing for a guest, I'll read loads of reviews. And as much as anything, just to remind me of what happened in which show and stuff like that, yeah. just to kind of jog my memory. Um, and I had to look up both the words quotidian and prosaic <laughs> because someone who both appeared in someone's review yeah. of what you do, which, as I understand, those words mean uh, every day and uh, in regular prose. <laughs> I, think, I, think, All right. I think the point they were making was that everything you... Like, your character on stage is... Uh, do, we call, do we call him a character? It's you in a wig it's a and, persona. A, and, a, and a skull cap, like a tonsure. It's a persona, but it's a See, persona See, I had to look up tonsure. Did you? In a review once. <laughs> I didn't know what that was. Um, it, it, well, it's, it, I'm not a character in that I changed my name, um, deliberately wear, say, a wig that looks like it's... I'm trying to fool the audience. Yes. Uh, the teeth aren't, you know, they f they flew out the other night halfway through a bit. You know, it's very, um, I'm not trying to trick the audience that I am a different person. I'm an exaggeration of myself. Okay. A persona. Um, but, you know, in any meetings with TV, I'm a, I'm a character, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> They got to be some give. I, uh, I w obviously will will get onto that and the the nature of what you do being so live and it, it, like I always think of pappies. I always think of pappies being sweaty in a room and looking daft and like they they have a similar you know you in the teeth and the shirt has the same quality to that kind of like is if this put, gets put on TV will it look bad rather than deliberately bad. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, well, I've I, I haven't um. It well, <laughs> I haven't done a lot of TV. I've done a handful of things. Okay. And uh, I think it looks funny, but it looks bad. We'll we'll come back to that. <laughs> 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 we'll. Um, We'll come back to that. What I want to talk about at the moment is the, it's it's you. So you don't refer to your persona on stage as him? Like when you're talking about it, socially? Uh, do you just talk about me no, on, no, on no. stage and do that? No, it's me. Like the, the, 
I look I look back at things and um the best thing I did was never change my name. That was the best thing I did. Because because it's like say I did another show and just completely reinvented myself. It would still be I think in comedy the most important thing is your name. Your name, you know. If people word of mouth at a festival, who should we go and see? They'll say your name and all this like it, it's it's the num it's the thing that will not change in my career. So I could try something completely different or stick to what I'm doing at the moment or, you know, uh, try something on radio or telly, whatever way my career would go. Uh, I'm glad I didn't, you know, give myself a, a character name, for example. I was interested listening to uh, Doc Brown, your interview with him, and he said his big regret was changing his name. Yes. Uh so yeah, I think it's. I think that's uh, that's something I'm glad I didn't do. And what you do on stage is so, like, it looks like it shouldn't work, and you play with the tension between whether it's working with what it is. Because to describe it to someone, like, just imagine uh, we've got some listeners in Portland, Oregon, right? <laughs> just to pick a random American city. Actually, Portland's a terrible example because I don't think it would work there. <laughs> Let's say Boston. <laughs> like, to, to someone, like, what we're seeing is a man in a white shirt and some black jeans mm. uh, who is wearing, uh, like, joke shop buck tooth teeth mm -hmm. and a, a tonsure, which is like a medieval monk's wig type skull cap. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and you're often quite quiet for a long time. You pause longer than I think most other comics. I think that's fair. And my point is that from like, do you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of stuff yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah. But my point is that from the perspective of someone who hadn't seen it, like if you walked, if you're a, an American tourist and you accidentally walk into the wrong room and your well, gig is happening. There's a room in off Hyde Park. Uh, it's a small, and for some reason the stage is by a glass door <laughs> and there were people walking and it's like right in the front of the shop I don't know shop I mean I'm gigging in shops apparently <laughs> but they were stood outside you know and Green Park's full of tourists I don't know about four or five tourists just a group of them staring at me like they can't hear me <laughs> they just see the, they're just thinking well <laughs> What the fuck's going what on in there? This, what could possibly be happening? <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, that's good fun. Yeah, and and what what you do seems to be rooted in finding something kind of philosophical or magical or ethereal or or just something like that. Something. Like theatrical and wonderful in really mundane things. Like I imagine you living it, like you the the persona. I imagine you living alone in a bedsit in the seventies, almost. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of rooted in this this like the the texture of the character is like really quotidian. <laughs> um. Yeah, I I think. I, 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 my big love as a kid was sitcoms, and 
I think if you think of the best sitcoms, their greatest strength is their sense of place. And um, I think that's really important um, as a stand-up. You haven't got anything else up there. It's just you. So what is important is rooting, um, I think, a sense of place, whether it be wherever you're talking about, but but also, you know, to speak maybe, uh, well, you know, a sense of place within yourself. They They need to know who you are and where you are. And so the best way for me to do that, I sometimes think, is describing details of um of you know of rooms i'm in or you know describing people that i might pepper my shows with uh the details that they like they have for example so in a show once i described my nan's house and uh she had a a frog shaped soap holder and the the, the soap would sit in his mouth and you know i'd kind of wonder you know what he what what had he said to have that kind of uh, have to like, have that kind of uh, punishment and all that. But you know these are all things. I, most of the stuff is is true. Everything is is, is I'd say eighty ninety percent of what I say on stage is true. It's just exaggerated and and false and lies. I I I, <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't put uh, uh, Clive James. He died. Yesterday, while we're recording this, and he, he was asked about his memoirs, and he said, "Oh, they're all true. They're all lies, but they're all true lies." And I was like, "That's well, that's what stand-up is. It's it's all bollocks, you know, but it's exaggerated. It's you know, true lies. I think that's pretty. Uh, that that sums it up. Yeah, sounds lovely and deep as well." Well, I mean, he said it. I just—he <laughs> <laughs> said a lot of funny things. He said, uh, "He said a sense of humour is just uh, oh, common sense common dancing." Sense dancing, yeah, man. You know, bloody hell. And I think he had—I uh, think he went out with Princess Diana as well, but he never spoke about that. Ah, oh, that's even cooler. <laughs> I know. Not mentioned it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I admired him. Oh, I'm the same. <laughs> yeah, I don't mention it. Either. First time, first time I mentioned it. Um, do you are you aspiring to a similar sense of like that that Clive James thing? A sense of humour is common sense dancing. Yeah. Do you aspire to that kind of like that's what I mean when I say kind of like finding magnificent things in in the commonplace? Yeah. Well, like you know. We, we life is predominantly mundane. You spend most of your life doing extremely boring things, and then once in a while there'll be a uh, you know a peak of happiness or a trough of sadness you know that you have to wallow through. And but most of the time, it's complete and utter. <laughs> banal kind of you know mediocrity but i i think uh i think there's something extremely funny about that and um 
I, I, there's also something very funny in uh, finding something as simple as say um, having a uh, a, a uh, timetable for using different colours of I don't know washing up liquid. Uh, you know uh, that being a bigger thing in your life. I think that's funny. Just having small. You know, everyone has their little things. Like yeah. attempts to kind of regulate the chaos. Yeah. Well, it just... It, that's, what, that's what we're all doing. And it's just... Uh, I, think, I, think I, I think you... Uh, with, with my writing, I... Um, I overreach with uh, maybe an ambition to come up with something grand. And where I fall, where I fail, is the joke. So, you know, I buy, I buy loads of, you know, I, I buy loads of, uh, you know, books that I'm not, I know I'm never going to read. But it's, uh, it's, it's that idea, that, that character that I, uh, that's just, that is just quite funny, you know. <laughs> Failure and suffering are kind of like, they're, they're a huge part of clowning. Mm. They're a huge part of comedy, you know that whoever it is that uh, was it um, was it Milton Berle who was the quote about uh, tragedy is if I fall over, comedy is if you fall down a hole and die. <laughs> I think something like that. I may have, I've misattributed it and murdered the quote as well. But do you know what I mean? It's it's about failure. It's about suffering, and those things. I, I think that's brilliantly put. The idea that you try, you aspire to sort of philosophical greatness or depth, and it's in the failure to achieve that that you're funny, which then itself is a kind of success. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's not a kind of success. It is success because you're being poignant and thoughtful and meaningful. Like, your shows, we really feel something in your shows. Yeah, well, I, I, I think... When I'm writing, I, the, the, the biggest thing I, I think about is what is my attitude here? Because when thinking about your attitude with a bit, you will then get the feeling of it. The material, like, it, it's a Woody Allen quote, which I think, you know, the material must come second to you being a funny person. Material, of course it's important. <laughs> and writing's important, but attitude and character, feeling when you're on stage, posture, how you hold yourself, um, those are the building blocks that the material will come. Anyone can write, whether it be good or bad, but anyone can write. But to be funny, well, that that's rare. You know, funny bones. I don't know who has. You know, you look back at my, my comedic heroes. Say, um, you know, you know, it's going back, but people like Tommy Cooper or Tony Hancock or people like that. The, the, in, in, if, if well, if someone's listening to this now, is immediately picturing them. They're picturing them as a sixty-year-old. You know. It's taken a long time to get to that point um, and to learn how to be funny. The material is, 
is second to them just being funny. And that's the aim. That really is the aim. I, I think of you as someone with funny bones. Like, my wife does an impression of you uh, saying, look, when you're talking about going behind the counter in a sweet shop in uh, <laughs> this show, uh, I can't remember the name of the show, it's the one with the racehorse. Uh, yeah, don't worry, they're here. Don't worry, they're here. She does an impression of you walking behind the counter and going, it felt good. <laughs> like, a, like a really good impression of you. <laughs> well, I think, I think it's... I think. Um, I, I kind of felt I, I knew I was onto something when people impersonated me. Yeah. I think if someone, like, if you can be recognised by a silhouette or someone can do an impression of you, then, you know, <laughs> you might not be any good. <laughs> but, you're, but at least you're memorable. At least you're different <laughs> enough to recognise. Yeah. We're never seeing him again. <laughs> and we know what he looks like. But so that that thing, that moment, like that, that's a that's in kind of our as in our relationship. That's one of those little jokes. Do you know what I mean? Oh, that you go, nice. oh yeah, we, that comes up from time to time. It's lovely. And um, and I just I was thinking about that. I was just reflecting on that. Like, what is it that's funny about that moment? You're describing standing behind, like you know, getting to supplant someone briefly, getting to experience to step into the shoes of another person, and you're sort of confiding in us, in, in sort of in confidence. That's what confiding means. And um, you're sort of sh secretly sharing with us that it felt good to do that. And none of the components of that really are funny, but that's the kind of funny bones quality whereby just thinking of it makes me laugh out loud. Like, wh what is it that's funny about, I mean, this is an insane question, but what is it, what's funny about you and how did you unlock that? And how do you unlock that? Uh... Well, that that particular line is um, so. I think so. There's a tonal shift there. I I I set this scene where I'm running the sweet shop, and uh, you know, it's a kind of I'm giving myself up to. I think I'm admiring how um, <laughs> how I'm how much I'm enjoying the wooden counter. I think that's what feels good, but um, I guess it's it, it's it's like a vulnerability. It's like I'm uh, I'm letting people in by by really showing what I like that what I like being a very bizarre thing. Um, to answer your question about how do you untap that, I mean, we did a clowning course. We did with Doctor Brown. In 2012, uh -huh. and uh, I just done the Pleasance Reserves, which is a showcase show in Edinburgh where you get taken up and all that. And um, I mean, I was I was doing some. It went up and down, you know. One night it was great, the other, you know, I mean, up and down, up and down. <laughs> and then afterwards, I I went back to work because I was. I had a full-time job at the time, and I was like, I kind of had a moment where I just thought, you know, if this is going to be how I spend all my holidays, all my leave, most of my evenings, I need to like go big or go home kind of thing. So I remember I applied for Dr. Brown's course. That was like 200 quid or something for a weekend. I was like, I loved what he'd done, and so I went, right, you know, just go and have some fun with that. And he just 
it was a real, it was very important to me those few days because I remember one thing that made me laugh. He said, uh, you know, the whole idea, you're coming on stage trying to make people laugh and he wasn't interested in that. He'd kind of shout, no one gives a shit about your shitty idea, all that. And that really hit home to me because I, again, going back to that material thing, I think I was being material-led rather than being what I just think makes me funny-led, if that makes sense. Um, And also there was something about, and it's not something we do in this country, I think, but I loved learning. Mm. He is, uh, you know, a phenomenal comic, clown, and uh, I loved learning. I loved being in that room and it being, no one being uh, guilty about learning about clowning, but taking it very seriously, like how I've always seen comedy, you know. And to be in that room and then to have someone like that teaching, uh, it gave me the confidence to then go on and then the next year I did my first show. So, um, yeah. Was that was that weekend course a breakthrough for you? Because prior to that, you hadn't... Well, I had, I was. It's weird, I found a, a picture actually uh, from 2011 where I'm doing it. But, the, the wig and the teeth. Yeah, and I'm, yeah, but I, I don't remember. I mean, what it, it's, it's kind of weird, but basically, my, my brother's then girlfriend's brother was doing some course, some photography course, where he had to follow people that did two different things in their lives, very two different things. So he took pictures of me working in Parliament, where I used to work, and then in the evenings, he'd follow me around doing gigs. And I found these pictures and I was like, well, hang on, he took these before I... So I was doing it earlier than I remember. But if I kind of put it all in order, doing uh, Phil's course, it made me go, right, fuck it. And also, you know, (laughs) I was doing an hour in Edinburgh and I looked at... Going back to that thing I was saying about overreaching, in February of... 2013, when I did my first show, uh, <laughs> my aim was to write a show based on Dr. Strangelove, but for the modern era. Okay. You know, that didn't happen. <laughs> it was me in a wig and four seats talking about going to Berlin on my own. And then, uh, you know, it, it, so, but that's where the title came from. Um, Sight Gags for Perverts was a... Uh, a title, it was a review of Dr. Strangelove that Kubrick nicked and said, oh, I'm going to make a film called that, and he never yeah. did. But So anyway, like, so yeah, the idea of, uh, you know, <laughs> not quite reaching your ambition, certainly encapsulated in that first year. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, that course gave me, I think, the confidence. Uh did we? What, what do you remember specifically about that course? I've suddenly had a memory of us walking down the street. It was at the Soho Theatre. Were we kind of? Was he making us do something outside? Oh yeah, fucking hell! <laughs> I mean, I didn't like all of it. <laughs> there was a lot of stuff. There I was, was like, a lot. Of, there was a lot of pain. I remember thinking this is the least painful clown course I've ever done. I've done lots of clown courses over the years, and I and 
never really, I don't think I've had that breakthrough of cracking it and going, like in my, and I'm, tell me if this is accurate for you, but how I perceive it happening to other people and how you hear about it and how I talk to people about it on this podcast, you go and somehow punish yourself sufficiently that you realise something. It's almost like a moment of ecstatic, almost martyrdom where you're like, if I just can just give up enough of my protection of my dignity. Do you know what I mean? Like there's something that I don't feel I can ever quite contact, which is like, I'm just too ashamed somehow, or I'm too unwilling to admit that I'm ashamed or something like that. And I feel like some people can just click and go, oh, oh, it's that. And then suddenly they just flash and the, and you just go oh they get it they've had a taste of what it is that's funny about them mm. did you i mean does that does that bear any resemblance at all to any experience that you had on that call well i uh, i remember not being very good at it i remember thinking i remember failing but <laughs> uh, so daniel simonson uh i started out in that kind of 2008 him, Nish Kumar, Susie Ruffle, Louise Armelan in, in Ballum, yeah. <laughs> PJ's gig. <laughs> the Comedy Stop. So yeah. cool because it's next to the Comedy Store in the listings. <laughs> you had to call it. I remember you had to call, His number was in Time Out. And it said, you can only call on Tuesday between 11 and 1. And I was like, okay. So I remember calling him. And he denied, he denied the gig. He went... <laughs> I went, oh, hi, um, this is PJ. Why? Uh, just, you know, I'm looking, wondering if I could have a gig. I don't run a gig. <laughs> oh, your number's in timeout. <laughs> no, not me. <laughs> and it was a, it's like this test. So I turn, you turn up, you're like, well, I'm going to turn up. And it was like a test. Oh, my God. That's Mad. Hilarious. Mad. But um, anyway, I remember Daniel Simonson, he, after we'd done this course, he came to the, we were having drinks in the bar. And he came along. I went, oh, hi, Dan. He went, and he'd been at Gollier with, with Phil. And he said, oh, how was, how was Phil? And um, I was like, oh, it's amazing. I really enjoyed it. And he was like, yeah, I was planning to, to come along. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, cool. And then he went, um, I'd love to watch Phil teach. I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, he was bad. <laughs> I was like, what? What do you mean he was bad? He was like, no, no, no. He was not good at it. And I just, it, that, was a, that was very healthy to hear. Yeah. Because you do put people on pedestals. And, of course. And, you th- and it was just very funny. <laughs> you know, he's obviously fantastic. Sure, sure, sure. But the, the, it, it really made me laugh that Daniel was like, nah. <laughs> he shouldn't be teaching. I wonder if there's something about the willingness to be bad. Did you do you feel a willingness to be bad to take genuine risks? Do you still feel that you're on stage taking genuine risks? Because it it looks like the the shows that you do are kind of forged in the crucible of genuine risk of failure. Like you know, you're not playing it safe as a comic. I don't think you could describe you as playing uh, it safe. No, I, don't, I no. <laughs> I don't think I'm a safe pair of ads. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I get what you're saying, but then, you know, similarly, that's not that's um, not quite what I mean. No, I, I I think so. You know, when you're creating a show, it it's forged in previews, and previews are bad. Previews are shocking. Uh, uh, but 
what usually happens is there's a moment where it's going terribly and you're up there and instinct kicks in. You just go, I need to save this. <laughs> Otherwise, this is, this is really bad. And something comes up, touch wood, but something has always come up. So if you keep throwing yourself into those situations, although it's tough... I mean, the last show that I've done, well, I'm, 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 I'm doing it now as I speak. <laughs> um, it's got, it's got the most jokes in it that I've had in a show, and um, it's taken me kind of six years, I think, to really be, uh, <laughs> really see the importance of a joke. Because <laughs> there's bits in the show where I'm like, oh, thank God, this bit's covered up. Like, it's just, it's, it's a joke. Whereas, you know, my first show, I got a review where it was, yeah, it was a nice thing to say, but it was like, uh, it's kind of weird how this show is so funny considering there's no jokes in it. Mm. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, really. This, I mean, the show you're doing at the moment, Double Take and Fade Away, it's a masterpiece. It's a well, masterpiece, no, John. No. It's incredible. That's a big word. I'm very, no, I'm very happy with it. And um, yeah, no, it's, it's been interesting because I'm doing it, at, like talking to you now, I'm doing yeah. it in, at Soho Theatre. And it's the first time I've ever done a show where press night has been in London. Mm -hmm. Usually it's in Edinburgh. Then you just kind of flog it. <laughs> Whereas now it's like I felt the pressure here. Mm. And it's been interesting. Like, um, yeah, it feels. I'm very proud of the show. I'm very proud of it. Does it does the pressure of something like press night affect the performance and the risk and the pace and the the pregnancy of the pauses and stuff like that? I I think I'd be lying to you. I I like to know if people are in. I read everything. And I know reviews as I've heard you say, oh, not for us. It's not gospel, it's just an opinion. <laughs> no, I know. Well, they're not for us, but I am interested to see they're about us. And I'm interested to know if there's 200 words about me in a national newspaper. I need to know what people are reading about me. Oh, yeah. My, my position is mostly a position of uh, security to stick my fingers in my ears, but do it in a lofty way somehow. <laughs> do you well, know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like really, the I, I aspire really cravenly to being able to read what someone thinks about me in a national newspaper and simply not care. But I know that I won't be able to. No, so impossible. instead impossible. I, I deny their existence entirely. Mm. And that's not a position of power. <laughs> No matter how many times I say it on the distribution network I've created for myself, it's really not. I guess it isn't, but um, I don't know. I'll be honest, you know, if I, like this week, last few days I've had press in. I think yesterday was the last day. And, uh, you know, I don't do much telly. I don't do much apart from live. And I'm on tour. And so, you know, someone out in the sticks or somewhere, they're going to need a good review. Yeah. So I'm really, I'm pumping myself up. I'm going, this has to be amazing. And I give it my all. And I, I tell myself I'm going to leave nothing out there. 
because I, I can't bear the idea that, you know, because it's, it's, you know, my dad called me the other day and he was excited because he, you know, the idea that he can go around the corner by the Times and read the great review and all that. And I love that. That's absolutely fantastic. So I kind of got to give it my all and I really, I, I, you know, maybe I'll listen back to this in 10, 20 years and be like, oh, but I do care about those things. So what's the relationship between the will to succeed and the, the permission to, to fail or to risk? Um, well, they go hand in hand. They dovetail. There's no... You've got to fail to succeed. Like, you know, they're, they're not... Previews are different. Audiences are different. But the finished article... Um, but I don't know, failure in a, you know, if I, if I do a bit of crowd work or something that just bombs, it's good for pace. <laughs> <laughs> you know, light and shade. It shows, you know, I, I, I joke about it, but I kind of say, you know, who wants wall to wall laughs? You know, I'm not that desperate. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I, you know, I don't. You know, I'm not interested in. Um, I'm, I, I don't mind if. So what if I fail in front of people? It doesn't matter. That doesn't matter to me at all, really. As long as you know, if I'm failing all the time, then there's a problem. But there's something very funny. You know, last night someone, uh, I completely stopped the gig because people were talking, and then I just, I knew what was coming next, and I was like, I think that's going to get a good laugh. So I just ground the gig into the ground. I just grind, just grinded it down. Because you knew your next bit yeah, was yeah, yeah. so secure. Yeah, that I you thought, could yeah. just play for yeah, as long yeah, yeah. as you want. Yeah. So that's fun. Because the audience, like, there's a thing that the audience are looking at, you going, well, he must know what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes you do. Sometimes, sometimes you don't. It's fine. So this is John. There is over half an hour of extra material from this conversation available to members of the Insiders Club. Uh, we will talk about uh, how he was writing for Harry Hill. We'll talk about meeting Chris Morris. Uh, we'll talk about how the spotlight can actually be quite painful. And we are also going to delve into, and this, it's one of those, it's a basically a technique for underpinning, a technique that John uses to underpin all of his material with genuine pathos. And when you hear it, it makes such sense. You go, oh my God, why don't we all do that? And it's so unique to him, but so applicable to your own kind of work. Uh, don't miss out on that. If you're a member of the Insiders Club, that will be appearing on the private podcast any second now. More from John in just a second. We'll discuss more about his influences, his ambitions, and, uh, and more on failure. So that's all coming up soon. Those tour dates, I promise you. John's tour show is called Double Take and Fade Away. And from February the 20th, that's a Thursday, he's going to be in Leeds at the Hyde Park Book Club. And then over the next few weeks, he's going to be at Birmingham Mac, uh, Newcastle Stand, Glasgow Stand, Reading South Street Arts, Brighton Comedia, the Glee Club in Cardiff, the Lead Mill in Sheffield, the Dukes in Lancaster, uh, Charles Bradlaugh in Northampton, Tom Thumb Theatre in Margate and Cambridge Junction. And uh, John and 
I will be following each other around on tour as I finish up my tour over the next few weeks, um, culminating in a hopefully sold-out Stuff to the Guilds show in the big room at the Junction in Cambridge. I have never won any comedy awards, but I've been plugging away and hopefully uh, I can fill that one up. So if uh, Now listen, I, I have put into this episode some time ago, although I think it's only just started going out, a little dynamically inserted ad that bangs on about the tour dates. So I won't go into them now in detail. Basically, that little pre-recorded ad, I record it and then I fire it off and immediately lose control of it. So I noticed on the Christmas special episode, it went out on twice on the same episode. That's not what I intended. And I'm terribly sorry if that is sort of overkill. Do let me know uh, the extent to which you find me putting in those little dynamic ads of my own gear uh, frustrating or absolutely fine and you never think about it because I was very surprised to hear it crop up twice. That's a technical error that's now been resolved, but um, basically get in touch if you have any feelings either way. Get in touch and basically tell me you don't mind or get in touch uh, or don't get in touch <laughs> or uh, or whatever you see fit. Don't miss John Kearns. He really is a sensational act. And if this interview is piquing your interest in the way in which I hope it is, um, then you must, must check him out live. What he does just doesn't make any sense when explained. It doesn't make any sense on paper that he would be wearing this ridiculous kind of tonsure wig and the glasses and the... I mean, I think the glasses are just glasses. But um, but his, the fake teeth, you think, what? how can this possibly be good? I, You've got to believe me. It's sensational. So I really hope you go and see John live on tour. Uh, by all means, if you are out of the country, try and catch up with his stuff on YouTube. And I think he does. We didn't get to talking about it, but Kearns and Matt Ewins, I think, do uh, a podcast together that's available on SoundCloud and it's called Periscope. So have a search for that as well. Let's get back to this conversation with John Kearns. I want to come back and talk about jokes. You touched on the fact that this show has more jokes in it. And I want to talk about the writing <laughs> of those jokes. But just while we're on the subject of texture, talk to me about your relationship with your director and what sorts of things he draws out of it. It's John Britton. Yes, John Britton. Uh, Olivier winning playwright. And uh, yeah, I went to uni with him. Uh, so we've known each other for, I don't know, 14 years now. Um, well, there's many things, many things. He, so, you know, if 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 you're wondering whether, so I, basically, he, so number one thing is he's a very funny man. He's very funny. He's, he's given me a few jokes, you know. Uh, it's it's a trust thing, you know. We sit down, and he's my mate. He's very talented. He comes to previews, and he also has seen all my work before. He knows who I am. He knows my flaws, and you know he also knows maybe what I'm avoiding, or what I'm not talking about. It's a conversation. So, you know, whenever anyone hears a director of stand-up, I think they immediately go, well, you know, how, do you, how can you direct stand-up? And it's like, obviously, it's not like directing a play or a movie. It's it's a conversation. And obviously, I mean, he's very good at the actual uh, 
technical side of things, like lighting and all that. He's, you know, he's very good at that. But, um, you know, if anyone performing or uh, is doing a show in Edinburgh is debating about whether to get a director, it is 100% the thing you should do. And again, it goes back to what I think we do wrong in this country. In America, they all help each other out. It's all about, uh, you know, they, they all these great comedians, every single one of them have come from, you know, writer rooms or improv groups. Over here, it's like we wear it as a badge of honour, like that you don't talk to anyone in your day life <laughs> and you're a genius. It's like, no, that's very unhealthy. Talk to people, you know, like. Get someone's opinion in and trust them and it will make your work better. So I'm, I'm very lucky in that, you know, it turns out that, you know, one of my good friends is also someone who, he directed Richard Gadd's show this year, mm. at Baby Reindeer, and uh, like I said, he's won an Olivier for his, his playwriting and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think we prop each other up in that respect, in that we... Uh, yeah, his 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 opinion is uh, well. I won't say priceless because it does cost me, but uh, <laughs> he's he's pretty he's pretty mates rates. He's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> what's the um, what's the biggest change that has come about in one of your shows or your approach to your work generally because of working with John? Uh, well, the last show. So the 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 show this year uh, is well. So last year, personal life. Terrible. Mm. Um, uh, you know, not a nice time. And, you know, when you're looking to write a show, say, the year after, you're thinking, well, you know, all my shows are about my life, really. But I don't write... Uh, I'm not literal. I don't just put it out there because I don't want to and because I don't find it funny. <laughs> So, um, and, you know, so he kept pushing for me to mention it, what what happened. Um, and uh, I do, but I just do it with one sentence. And would I have done that without him pushing me? Don't know. I don't know. But, uh Yeah. He he knows what's important, and but also he probably, you know, I'm, I, I, he knows what's important, um, and so, yeah, I, I, that would be the thing I think. I want to respect your privacy and also that moment in the show, which is just an incredibly powerful moment in the show. So I'm not going to, I know the listener will be going, but what happened? And we're not going to delve into it any more than you want to. But I think that moment in the show 
is an extraordinary moment? Well, it's, um, you know, like the, the title is, is on that as well, Double Take and Fade Away. It's, it's the name of a book. I just nicked it, but um, it also has a, it also is a reference to that moment in the show. Um, you know, I'm, <laughs> obviously, it, and so the, the moment where it comes in the show is it's my older self talking to my younger self and just telling him what's going to happen. And so, it, um, you know, it's life. But the important thing is that that is followed with a big laugh. With something else, <laughs> you know, I have to, uh, you know, you got to make sure that happens to keep the, to keep the train on the tracks. But yeah, you know, um, it's life, and you have to. That's what you make shows about. Is there a cathartic element to talking about it on stage? To that being part of it, Is well, there, does I, it mean something for you emotionally to? to mention that on stage over and above the weight of the piece of work that you've created? I don't, well, I, I, I don't, I, I don't think I do talk about it. I just, I just say it. I think if I look back at all my shows, and I think it's the reason why I don't think I could go back and film them, they're very much who I was then. My first show, I'm 27. I'm working full time. I'm thinking this is maybe my last roll of the dice because I think, you know, otherwise I need to quit my job and then what's going on? I mean, I don't know. I look back at that show and I'm like, yeah, that really is who I was. Mm. The second show, exactly the same. Third, this show. I always think about that. Of course you want the show to be good, but if they are absolutely who you were then, then that's a success. So this show that I'm doing now is very much me now. So to answer your question, because that's recent history, that is me, and so it's important to me, and so I'm being truthful. I don't put too much of a premium on truth in comedy. I think it get, you know, it gets in the way <laughs> of a funny thing, but. Um, You know, that's to go back to what you're saying. That's what John is good at. He's going, look. You know, my show is all about staring at ceilings, looking out windows. Uh, I didn't have, I, you know, there was no work going on last year, and you, you know, you're you're rolling around your flat and where you live, going, what am I going to do? That's what the show is really about. So, um, yeah, it's kind of. Uh, you know, that's where I'm at. So if that's what the show is, then good. What drives you to be funny? Like, what as a, what as a kid made you think, made you listen to comedy stuff and think, I want to do that and be that, rather than just, I want to enjoy that in the same way as I enjoy music or a sport or whatever? Um... You know, you ask yourself that question when you when you're travelling to uh, Corby, <laughs> thinking, "Well, this is a choice you made." 
Um, I don't know really. I, I, I my dad. Uh, I, you know, my dad like. You know, car car trips were listening to. I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. And uh, I remember the Woody Allen basement tapes. Mm. <laughs> I remember he had Mike Reed live at the Palladium, and he'd put it on, and my mum would be going mad, telling him to turn it off because it's blue. It's blue. <laughs> but you know, and he, he he had he had Frank Skinner VHSs and Jethro. You know, Jethro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know his work, actually. I don't, you don't know his work? I've seen the posters, and from there I feel like I've got a good idea of what the work is, <laughs> which is an awfully patronising thing to say, but I think well, he's I'm a Cornish, right. He's a Cornish farmer who tells shaggy dogs <laughs> and very blue stories. But I don't know, funny stuff. And it was just, um, I don't know, you kind of... It was so important to um, just my upbringing, I suppose. Just it was, It was very much... It's very much what I. It it's just. It's what I spent all my money on, and I used to. The, the biggest thing that I am very grateful of actually is that I listened to a lot of comedy before I saw it. You know, I listened to all of like the Richard Pryor Warner Brothers albums before I even seen saw him. Yeah. Um, Forty Towers, Fools and Horses, Blackadder. I had the audio tapes. Yeah, right. I, I Bill Cosby's routine about brothers that goes on for... I mean, I know I'm listing people here that... <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's a, he's got a 20-minute bit about brothers on, on an album, which is extraordinary. And, you know, the first stand-up I saw, I think, was Eddie Izzard. Like someone lent me a VHS at school, but... Radio 2, Bob Monkhouse opened his archives every Saturday lunchtime and played comedy clips. Mm. Uh, my, my, my abiding memory of comedy till I was about 15, I think, was audio, all audio. Derek and Clive. You know, the, the glee, and you see it with people on trains listening to podcasts, funny podcasts, and you know they want to laugh, but it's that there is no greater laugh than that. And I, I remember my dad making me listen to Derek and Clive and I was young and I had the headphones on and um, they start swearing and I remember not knowing whether I should laugh or not because <laughs> I'd be I'd be referencing, I'd be acknowledging that I know that these are rude words, you know, you know how kids are, I mean, I don't know. But I, I think I think that is such, um, I, 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 yeah, I think it's such a rich, uh, important thing to listen to, to, to comedy because that's how you learn timing and you listen to the words and, you know, you picture it in your head. It's all it's all up to you. So, um, and that was interesting with sitcoms because, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I watched, sorry, I listened to all of, I think, Only Fools and Horses series two on tape <laughs> because, the, and then the VHS came out, I don't know, years later, but... yeah. So it's bizarre to watch it back. So going, you were you were listening. It was presumably abridged for the recording. Abridged, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the Forty Towers one. It has, I think, it had Andrew Sachs commenting on, you know, at this point he's the hitting noise. a car yeah, with yeah, a stick yeah, exactly. out of the branch. <laughs> he's beating the shit out of me in the kitchen. <laughs> I'm lying there as a ten year old, like, right, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't know. And, and then I remember but things like 
it's so funny how you think back to what you read and listened to. I remember Stephen Merchant in an interview saying, he, he said he never thought that he couldn't do comedy because he grew up and went, well, th who's going to be the next people to do that? I'll be one of those people. Mm. And I remember reading that thinking, oh, yeah. Who's going to be the next person? And, you know, I never, I hadn't been to a comedy club until I was performing at one, you know. So I didn't know what stand-up was in that respect. Um, but, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, it's why, it's what I've always loved. Talking about sitcoms, and I was wondering oh, yes. about the richness of your persona and the rhythm and the texture and those sorts of things. They're quite characterful things aren't they? Like, I, I think my stand-up, whatever richness is there, sort of happens accidentally because I'm trying to make a point or describe something. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, rather than... You, you're a bit more like the medium is the message. And I'm oh, like, yes, no, yes, it's the yes. message. <laughs> yeah, mass... Yes, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Have you got, like, a spec script in your back pocket, which is the you from the stage, is your persona in the sitcom of their life? Um, well, I've done, you know, <laughs> I've I've done numerous taster tapes for things. Okay. And uh, I did, I've attempted to get things away, but it hasn't happened. Um, why not? Why not? What, what do, why, why do you think not? Because you're like, you're, in terms of uh, career, I don't mean career, I mean in terms of the industry, you would think that with your... Uh, historical, <laughs> you know, the first person ever. The well, it's funny they call you the first, but you are you remain the only person ever to win the newcomer award and then the best show award in consecutive years. So one would imagine yes. you're not short of a meeting, or you know. Well, you'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> what you mean the Edinburgh Festival doesn't mean anything? Yeah, come on. <laughs> you'd be surprised. Um, I don't. I, I. I. can't answer that. It's. 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 It, that's not for me. I. It's not for me to say why things haven't happened in that respect. Uh, I'm not, I I've, I've, been, I've been. I've been given. I've been given certain reasons, and. Um, I don't mean to. I don't mean to suggest that things haven't happened. I don't mean to go like I'm not. I'm not no, coming no, at no, this no, from no, the no, point no. of view of. Uh, why aren't you more successful? I, well, I do often ask people why aren't you more successful, but I like to ask that to people who are already very successful because I'm sure it worries at them somehow. Well, I'm, I'm interested in the those things. Like, why are you told that people aren't going to make a thing that you think is brilliant? I, uh, well, you know, I mean, I probably... Uh, There's probably, there's probably it works twofold, doesn't it? I mean, I'm probably maybe guarded about it, giving an idea away too much. And I'm quite sure. The great thing about doing live, I don't show anyone anything, maybe apart from John, but even then I'll only show them through previews. I can't sit down and go through material with someone or go, oh, does this bit work? Or I, I need the pressure of it, doing it live. Mm. And then when you're pitching it in a meeting or an idea for uh, TV or whatever, I guess I'm quite guarded, <laughs> which isn't a good idea. But also, I guess you know, I, 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 I don't know. Is 
they need to compare it to something else. They need to see what it might be like. And I, I don't know. Look, I, I'll keep trying with certain ideas and all that. I'll keep trying. I, I imagine there are people writing and making things on TV and producing these com comedians producing things on TV who are very willing to compromise in the name of getting a thing away. And yeah, I, well, like, you know, so the thing is, so I, <laughs> you know, I, so things like shorts, blaps, feeds, all that kind of stuff. I've been very wary of them. Because I'm like, well, I'm going to give you my idea. But looking at what has been picked up, they usually go, right, the absurd, silly stuff. Oh, that's enough now. Um, so I've, I've basically kind of gone, well, I don't want to do that. Mm. I, 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 I want the full scope of something. Which you know, it's a very, that's a very high wire game to play. Because <laughs> why would anyone do it? You need a movie. Well, I, you know, I. This uh, have you seen? Um, you know, Jacques Tati. Yeah. Have you seen Playtime? No. That is the absolute epitome of visual comedy. That is unreal. There's a scene that goes on for about 40 minutes in a restaurant at the end. It is, I mean, it is mind-blowing how funny and how good that is. It's a dance. It's, it's, that is the epitome of comedy, that, that 40 minutes. It's jazz. There's no words. It's unbelievable, that thing. Uh, I like, I like the, again, going back, I like the ambition of that. I like the scope. It's huge. Um, I mean, I'm not sitting there saying I'm going to make a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I won't make a short, but I will make a feature film. <laughs> a feature film with a 40-minute one-shot, <laughs> one-take ending. Who wants it? Well, um, Neil Hamburger. Yeah. He made a movie. Mm, entertainment. Yeah. Fantastic. It's as easy as that. <laughs> we talk about it uh, in detail in uh, the episode of Fortnite ago, I think. I'm halfway through, oh, Stuart. Yeah. Okay. I am, yes. I'm just using that as a shout-out to the listener <laughs> in case they don't know who Neil Hamburger is. Um, but, yeah, look, I, you know, I, I still, I, I don't know. I, that's why I think it's live is always the most important thing because that will... That is what you have complete control over. Yeah. And that is what uh, I know I have an audience for. And uh, everything, anything else is a bonus. I mean, of course, I'd love something else. <laughs> but I, I can't complain in that respect. Could you... I'm going to... Okay, this is a thought experiment. If you were... That is half a thought experiment and half a question. Um, something about... <laughs> let's lower the standards for the question. So here are some broad concepts I'm just going to put out in the air. Try and turn this into a thing you can answer. Okay. 
Um, it, like, if there were like a sort of supercharged, kind of marketable version of what you wanted to do, that's not the, that's not what I mean either. I'm just with the idea of you making your version of playtime, something that you love as much as you love playtime, a feature film with you, the persona, to make that happen. Mm. Would let's and let's assume for the sake of this question that that's your ultimate dream, which it might not be. But to make that happen, you would need some pretty heavy artillery in terms of self-belief and the ability to go into meetings shouting about how great you are. Mm. I imagine. Or someone who was prepared to do that on your behalf mm. with like wizard level, <laughs> you know, like to like. I, I, the reason why I'm thinking this is a fucking pig's ear of a question. Um, the you started talking about uh, playtime, and I thought, is that marketable? Can we imagine that happening today? Could there be a silent movie? Well, it only with, happened because the French government are very good at yeah, funding their arts. Totally. And so that's why that's why that happened. I've got a bit on this. It's in the last five minutes of my tour show. Oh, really? I'm currently available <laughs> for the next couple of months. <laughs> please, please come to Caution. Um, uh, yeah, they do a payment called the Intermittence, which is a payment to artists. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't well, they on, did it here. I mean, yeah, no, don't like, tread on the bit, guys. <laughs> yeah, they did it here in the eighties. Yeah. When yeah. you hear these comedians say they lived in London, on I was just on the dole. Yeah, doing stand up all the time. Yeah, sounds great, mate. <laughs> well done. Um, my first thought was, is that marketable? Will anyone, would anyone make that? And then I was thinking, it is, it is. You can dream it, you can do it, especially with kind of new media and the internet and Kickstarter and, you know, any kind of thing like that. Like, what is the next project for you? And do you, are you interested in letting go temporarily of the ease, I don't mean live work's easy, but those those elements of live work which are, have the idea, don't show you're working out, turn up and do it. Do you have a, a hunger or an ambition or a drive to do something bigger than that that is harder to make happen? Well, yeah, without doubt. But... I just have, I have to want to do it. It's that simple. Like, I haven't turned down much, but I'm not going to do something if I don't want to do it. So, um, I mean, that's the answer. Like, so yes, I, I have ambition to do all these things. And I don't see why I can't or why I won't. But you know, if people get in the way, or if it becomes too, if 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 it go moves away from what I want to do, then it won't happen. Again, which is why live is. You can do anything. You can do it, and no one gets in the way. So, you know, I. Uh, I'll give, I'll give it all a go. <laughs> I'm not but, trying to know. convince you to make a film. <laughs> I'm just interested in the... Uh, like... Pyramid scheme. Look, <laughs> give me 100 quid, right? <laughs> just write a check out. <laughs> I'm just interested in the, in the... the You were talking about overreaching. 
like artistically overreaching? Like what's the what's the next model? Like if you think, okay, Louisa Omulan wants to go to Broadway and become a massive star, mm. like ultimately it's all about making about getting to that goal, for example, to you know, I've not yeah. spoken to her yeah, for yeah. a few years about her ambition, but I understand that's the angle that she's you know, that's her aim. What what do you, what do you want to do? Like dream scenario, dream ma- magic lamp genie sort of scenario. <laughs> like what could you? What 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 would be your your well, absolute uh, I, dream project if you had limitless resources? Wow! <laughs> In the world of artistic, not ending world hunger, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which yeah. I assume you were just about to say. <laughs> um. Well, I mean, it's that's, I mean. It's a you know it's a it's a big question it's a huge question isn't it what do you want I'm I'm very fortunate in that I make a living from live from stand up I love uh, I've done a few gigs in old West End theatres and I love I love the romance of that I'm I'm extremely sentimental <laughs> and uh, you know. Soppy. So I love the, uh, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to be able to keep doing live where it gets to a point where I could, uh, you know, walk through the stage door of a West End theatre and be like, I'm doing a run here. Mm. That's pretty cool to me. And then, you know, as 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 for other things, you know, I've... I, I've got a radio show on on Christmas Day on Radio Four this year, um, and that's been great working with uh, an amazing producer and production company. And I've used old recordings of my family Christmas dinners. Oh, I, I recorded them in um, 2011 and 2012 without them knowing, because <laughs> I'm that guy. Yeah. Well, no, I did it because I remember reading an interview with Peter Kay and he said he used to record his family mm. and then he'd listen to them and he'd write down all their sayings and the, the, the cadences. Jeez. So I thought, oh, I'll do that with mine. Mine was <laughs> absolute <laughs> silence. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, my grandmother trying to remember the fish shop Harry Rand fish and chip shop Harry Ramsden is it mm-hmm. and no one at the table knowing what she's talking about so I listened back to her and I went well this isn't what I wanted but then when I did a Christmas show at the Battersea Arts Centre a few years ago I was like hang on I've got these tapes so I played them in between stand up and you know now they're going out on Christmas Day on Radio 4 so I like that I've moved from live to radio with that medium. Yeah. So, so the idea to answer your question very simply is to find a way of doing what I do on stage on uh, on a screen somehow. I'm 32. It might take another 10 years, but uh, it'll be fun working out. <laughs> Are you happy? <laughs> Um, am I happy? Uh, e, uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I knew this was coming, obviously. Um, I'm okay. I think, uh, yeah, um, happiness is 
I think to be okay is 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 fine. Like that's a great place to be, and I'm happy. Yeah, every day something happens that makes me uh, <laughs> happy. <laughs> Sounds like I'm just wanking, but um, <laughs> you know, it, like are you happy? Is like asking, you know, are you sad? Like, imagine, imagine. I don't know anyone who's happy all the time. Christ Almighty. Couldn't hang out with them. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm fine, which is, I'll take that. So that was John. So much thanks to John for coming on. I really enjoyed that. It's such a, a such a lovely presence. And what he said as well at the very top of the show about having a sense of place and detailing and being specific about the sense of place in order that the character, his persona, that it that it lives somewhere and that it have a genuine life. I think that's absolutely fascinating. Half an hour of extra John on um on on this this technique he has. It's not I don't even know if it's a technique. It's just a way of thinking about a starting point. Can I be any more obtuse? I love hearing Americans say obtuse. Um, that's on the Insiders Club. So loads more from John, about half an hour or so, uh, available from comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. And no postamble today. I, I, I want to let you, uh, if, if you're in need of a postamble, go back and listen to the Conan one. And thank you, the people who've been saying nice things about that uh, on the Facebook group. All this week on the Comedians Comedian podcast Facebook group, I'm going to do a series of polls, one a day, on which are your favourite episodes for inspiration, which are your favourite episodes for writing technique. And I'm going to make that a sort of open access poll whereby you can submit ideas for it yourself and then everyone can vote on them because I need to rejudge some of the automatic stuff that goes out when people sign up to the mailing list you get the top 10 episodes but it's at least a year out of date so I'm going to rejudge that and completely relook at it if you're in the Facebook group have a look at that and also thank you here's a final thanks before we ring off um who is a uh oh he says okay Nathan take that name out uh, in fact, you could beat that name and leave it me telling you <laughs> to take the name out. He says, no need for acknowledgement. I like to pretend that I'm a cool guy. Uh, and what he did was he sent uh, a small donation, a very welcome donation, on uh, the PayPal system. We used to do one-off donations. It's all subscriptions now. But the, the facility is still there, if you fancy. If you're, if you're suddenly taken with the desire to support the show and aren't already doing so, you can still do a one-off payment. And this mystery cool guy... Uh, sent me a little uh, payment with the message, Mrs. Goldsmith's Christmas bonus. He says, just don't forget to say thanks to her from us for helping you do what you do for us. That, she was so touched. <laughs> I was very touched. And I told her, and she was very touched. On reflection, I haven't actually given her that money yet. I will do that later today, this I swear. But what a, what a kind thing. I just wanted to shout that out. Um, and then I realised at the last minute, he said no need for acknowledgement. I don't know if that's to withholding permission for this gentleman's name to be used. But if it is you, and it may well be you, thanks, mate. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Go and see John on tour. Come and see me on tour. My dates are available, comedianscomedian.com slash tour. And that is it for now. I'm very pleased to, just as a little minor announcement, if you are still there, yesterday recorded two absolute bangers. One with Ninia Benjamin, who I've been desperate to get on the show for so long. She is just a devastating explosion of energy. She's a brilliant, brilliant comic. And we get really stuck into the relationship between her self-belief on, on stage and the struggles that she has with feeling that she is not a proper comedian, which is nuts. 
But we get right into the guts of that. And it's a fantastic episode. I'm very proud of that. That will be coming your way soon. And then something completely different. Yesterday, I recorded an episode with Matt Winning, aka Dr. Matthew Winning, actual climate change researcher, actual comedian, uh, whose show I must have banged onto you about over the Edinburgh period. It really changed the way I think about climate change. And we are going to get deep into what it means to have a message, to have a kind of a calling, to have a mission within your comedy and the limitations of that, the benefits of that, the potential directions that his career might now go in. And also we get some really hopeful, ultimately optimistic, but short, mid and probably long term, quite frightening stuff about climate change, that it's not a boring lecture. It's a we we get right into the into the into the guts of that as well. So don't miss that. Uh, those are all coming your way soon, as well as Ethan Ekpar, Jamali Maddox, the Sklar brothers, and more besides. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.